This is Come and See by Father Ron Baird for March 20th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. In today's Gospel lesson, we have the story of Nicodemus who visits Jesus. Now, Nicodemus is a rabbi. He's a leader of the Jews, probably one of the Sanhedrin. If you remember, the Sanhedrin are the people that Jesus will be dragged before when he's accused by the chief priests and Pharisees and the scribes of, of committing blasphemy. And he goes to see Jesus. Now, he does seem to be somewhat sincere because he says, you know, well, obviously you must be from God because if you weren't from God, you couldn't do these things that you've been doing. And which is an interesting sort of way to open a conversation, isn't it? I'm like, let me butter him up a little bit <clears throat> before I get very far with this. It's probably also somewhat apologetic because it says that he went to see him at night. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. We go out at night a lot. But in those days, people didn't go anywhere at night. I mean, they went home. It was also quite telling that Nicodemus didn't go to see Jesus during the day when the crowds were around and he was being challenged by the other um, leaders at that point. So you kind of have to wonder, what's he thinking? Is he thinking, gee, if this guy really is the Messiah, I mean, I, I want to know that. But, I mean, if he's not, I don't want to look stupid either. I mean, what are these guys on the Sanhedrin going to think if I you know, go see him? And I, maybe I better check this out first. So being a good Anglican, he's hedging his bets. <clears throat> You know, that way, if it doesn't work out, it can go home. Never happened, right? And so he says to Jesus, obviously, you must be from God because these things happen. And Jesus answers him in an interesting way. He said, you know, you can even see the kingdom of God if you've not been born from above. And Nicodemus goes, what? <laughs> now, in the Greek, it's a little more obvious why Nicodemus doesn't know what he's talking about. Than, than what we see. Because that word that is used that we translate um, from above can also be translated as again. You ever heard of being born again? Um, that, and the difference about how you know which way it's being used is context. And that sort of sets the whole story here, doesn't it? What is the context from which Nicodemus is seeing things? And what is the context from which Jesus is seeing things? Jesus is seeing things from the context of the kingdom. Nicodemus is seeing things from the context of the world. And so for Nicodemus, he thinks you have to be born again. And so he asks the obvious question, well, how can a man crawl back into his mother's womb and be born again? which I would guess his mother wouldn't like at all, by the way, but um, I mean, he's just really, he doesn't understand. You know, that, that, that would be impossible. How could that be? It doesn't make sense. And Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, you will not have life in you if you have not been born from above. You know, and so Nicodemus can't figure out how that works, and Jesus goes on to explain to him. He says, the wind blows where it will. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going to. That's what it's like 
for the people who were born from above. That made it clear to Nicodemus, and he was like, what? Now he's talking about wind. Now, again, the the word that is used here, the, the Hebrew word in particular, is ruach. Good Hebrew word in ruach. Yeah, <laughs> ruach. Um, and that word can be translated as spirit. It can be translated as wind. It can be translated as breath. I mean, it can be any of those things. And we see that in Scripture. If you read Genesis, if you remember, the, the wind moved over the face of the waters when God created Or was it the Spirit moved over the face of the water when God created it? We see that when he creates Adam out of the dust of the ground, he leans over and he breathes into him to give him life. Or did he give spirit to him to give him life? I mean, it can be used either way. So Nicodemus is pretty much lost at this point. And Jesus says, here you are a teacher of the Jews. I mean, you're one of their leaders. You know, you've got a PhD in this stuff. You're supposed to be brilliant. You're, you're on, on Sanhedrin for crying out. And you don't understand? If you don't understand earthly things that I'm telling you about, about what you have to have on earth, how in the world do you expect me to explain to you heavenly things? Because Nicodemus had said, well, how can this be? And he's just stunned by the whole thing. Now, in fairness to Nicodemus, he does come around a little later, but, but he does eventually kind of get the point and becomes one of the, the people who follow Christ. And so he said, how can these things be? And Jesus responds with, well, how could you possibly understand if you don't understand earthly things? And then he says to him, only the Son of Man who is descended from heaven can understand what things are really like in heaven. So if you want to be born from above, you must be born by water and spirit. Because what is of the flesh is flesh, and what is of the spirit is spirit. Now you can sort of see um, um, Nicodemus pulling out his iPhone and taking notes and trying to figure out what the heck is that um, He got the flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit part and figured out how he put them together yet. Except that there's a very significant thing here that, that Nicodemus knows that oftentimes we don't. Where did Jesus get that from? Hmm? Mm -mm. Thought, the rest of you thought he made it up, didn't you? <laughs> Ezekiel, 36th chapter of Ezekiel. Nicodemus knows Ezekiel. That's the reason why we talked last week on the journey. You need scripture. You need a familiarity with it. You need to know the stories because if you don't, then oftentimes the conversation is going right by you. It would be like me if you were talking to me about some chemical formulation or something. I would nod and agree and wouldn't have a clue what you were talking about, but, but I would think it made sense. I mean, our finance meetings are sometimes like that. We have all these accountant people in there, and they start talking about all this stuff, and I just go, yeah, that sounds really good. <laughs> I have no idea what you mean. Um, I said, it looks like gobbledygook to me. <laughs> they, and then they try to explain it to me, which is really interesting because they don't know how hopeless that truly is. But 
I guess you have to be born from accounting to understand accounting, right? <laughs> and I certainly wasn't. But Nicodemus is just trying to get his mind around what in the world, but he does know that in Ezekiel, it says that I will wash you from your sins and I will put my spirit within your heart. So he is aware that there's something to this water and spirit thing. But he still, he says, oh, I don't know, how can this be? I mean, how does that happen? You know, if you don't want me to climb back into my mother's womb, then how do I get, you know, how do I get born again by, by water and spirit? I don't under, you know, how do these things happen? And then Jesus tells him, he gives him the answer. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. There's your answer. You all clear about that? People in the medical field, what's the serpent lifted up in the wilderness about? Healing. You all remember the story? They were getting bitten by poisonous snakes. And so Moses went to God and said, the snakes are killing the people. And he said, wrap the snake around the staff. Put it in the center of the camp and, you know, and lift it up. And if anyone is bitten by a snake, all they need do is look at the snake and they'll be healed. So when you see that at the doctor's office, that doesn't mean that he's a snake. That, that means that, that he's, he's there to heal. You know, you look to them to heal. So how does that end up working then? Because Nicodemus is now, okay, the Son of Man, that's the Messiah, I got that part. Something about Ezekiel, that God's going to wash us of our sins and, and, and he's going to put his spirit in our heart. And so if the Messiah is lifted up like a snake, then that is being born again? You see the problem? Now, because he knows the Old Testament stories, but he knows them from a worldly viewpoint, not from the kingdom. Now, looking back 2,000 years later, we know what Jesus was talking about, don't we? When he said the Son of Man must be lifted up as the serpent was lifted up, what did he mean? Crucifixion. Because when you look to the cross of Christ where the blood is poured forth, there you find healing and wholeness. That's where you can become born again. Born from above. Because now you are born of the washing away of the sin of the world and born of the Spirit that can dwell in your hearts because of the fact that the Son of Man was lifted up for the whole world to see. So that makes perfect sense, too, except to Nicodemus, who hasn't gotten there. Now, in, as I mentioned before, in Nicodemus' favor, later, when the crucifixion does come, you can almost, it's like a light bulb turns on his head, and he goes, oh, that's what he meant. So how do we do that then? Well, if you look at the world, it doesn't look like it's the perfect place to live, do you think? I mean, you know, if it's not disease and those things, we have a terrible recession, you know, 
There's a lot of political unrest even in our own country, much less all over the world. And, and then you've got wars going on throughout the Middle East. And, and if that wasn't bad enough, we get an earthquake followed by a tsunami, followed by a nuclear meltdown that's now leaking into the ground. And it makes you wonder, well, what, how do you ever, I mean, why would anybody want to live in a world like this? It's so frightening about the things that could happen. I mean, who could have predicted a, a 9.0 earthquake, much less a tsunami moving at 500 miles an hour? How do you know? So how does this heal us then by looking to the cross? What does that mean? What it means is that on the cross, Jesus, who was both God and man in one person, paid the price of the sin of the world. Now, we all hear those words, but what you need to go back to is that understanding of water and spirit because in that, our sins are washed away. The debt has been paid. That's why we baptize. Is it? That's the first half of it anyway, is to wash away. And then the second part of it is because Christ died on the cross, because he was willing to give himself completely, though he was God, he also can share in the divine spirit. You remember what he said to his disciples when he was, after he had been crucified, he'd been you know, spending time with them for 40 days and 40 nights, and then he told them he had to leave. And he said what? Anybody remember? And why? He says, I would not leave you without comfort. That doesn't mean I'm going to get you a nice sofa. I would not leave you without the strength to be able to do this. It means come forth, where we get the word fortification, to be fortified with the Holy Spirit. I will send the Holy Spirit who will be your advocate and guide. He will lead you into all truth. And this is where things get difficult for Christians. We seem to think that somehow or other that being led into all truth means that I study enough and learn it and then I I apply it to my life and I do it. Because that's what the world does, isn't it? But Jesus isn't talking about worldly salvation. Because he told us what life in the Spirit is like. What did he say? The wind does what? Blows where it will. Don't know where it came from. Don't know where it's going. And that's where it gets hard. Because we don't really like it when we don't know where we're going. You know, if you don't believe that, ask somebody you know here to say, come get my car with me. Say, why, where are we going? Just get in the car, we'll go somewhere. Why? <laughs> when are we coming back? I mean, we want details. Can you imagine what that would be like if your three-year-old came up to you and said, Mommy or Daddy? I've been thinking about this. You've been telling me that I'm going to be going to preschool and then you know, kindergarten and elementary school and high school and I'm supposed to go to college. And now, if I do this, if I agree to all of this, how do I know that my life will be good after all that work? What do you tell them? You say you're entirely too smart for your own good for a three-year-old. You ought to be in college now, right? Now, 
if we can't predict what life is going to be like 40 years from now, and we can't give those assurances, why in the world do we think that we have the ability to go to God and that even if He did explain it to us, that we would have a clue what He was talking about? And that's where it gets hard, because to be able to be born from above, born again by water and the Spirit, it's going to take the second tool that you need on your journey for Lent. And that tool is surrender. That's why the church encourages people to give up something for Lent. It's not because we enjoy torturing you for six weeks. It has to do with practicing surrender, giving up. Because the Christian life is not so much trying to be better, because that's impossible. You can never be good enough. It's really about learning how to let go, how to give up. That's hard. We don't like to give up control, do we? And for some good reasons. I mean, one is that we were told not to. Two is that if you live very long, you know, babies don't want any control. They want you to do it. When they're hungry, do they feel like they need to be in control? No, they just want to be fed. They don't need control. What happens, though, is that as time goes on, our needs aren't always met, are they? And even more so, sometimes people betray it and let us down. And it can happen from our parents. It usually does. Maybe intentionally, maybe not. It can happen from our teachers at school. It can happen from um, you know, other adults who we think are responsible, from police, from politicians, you know, from... Heaven forbid the church. Clergy can let us down. You ever notice that? I always tell people, if I haven't disappointed you yet, you haven't been here long enough. Because we're all human beings. You should never surrender to a human being. That makes no sense at all. The only way you should surrender to a priest, for instance, is when they're telling you, don't surrender to me, surrender to God. Because what we really surrender to is the Spirit who lives in us, who will guide us into all truth, who will lead us into the will of Christ, who will show us what it is that we need to do. And we don't know where that is going. We don't know what the step is. We don't have time to stop and plan out all the consequences and, and all the ramifications. We, we either go or we don't go. Can you imagine being caught up in a whirlwind and saying, I'd really like to... You know, before I get blown over there, I'd like to think about it for a little bit. I mean, what will that mean if I hit the wall? It doesn't work that way. It really is just saying, okay, I'm going to go with it. Anybody here do whitewater rafting or been in rafting? You ever got fallen out of the boat? Even if you haven't, what do they tell you to do if you fall out of the boat? They're going to tell you to swim to the shore? Why not? Because you can't. You mean I have to let go and let the current take me wherever it's going to take me? What if there's a waterfall? Go, right? That's what life is really like. That's what real life is like. And if you want to know what the perfect life is, 
It's about giving up that kind of control, not to a human being or even to Whitewater Rapids, but giving it to God, allowing His Spirit to guide your steps and to show you what to do. Now, the truth is we're really not good at it, and we've really kind of both been trained and had experiences that lead us to be very skeptical of surrendering that kind of control to anybody. Did you all see the, the preacher who refused to give his congregation communion because they wouldn't turn over their income tax refunds to the church? This is in Texas. It was a Baptist church. He was on the news. I thought, either he's crazy or he, he or something, because I, I, mean, I can imagine not telling you all that. I mean... You all wouldn't get mad. You'd laugh at me. <laughs> You'd think that was some... Yeah, that's what... And then the other thing, all of you who owe taxes this year should move there because it seems to me it's only fair. If he's going to get the refunds, he should have to pay the tax, right? <laughs> he, he could get a lot of members of the church. He'd go broke. But... I mean, but we become very suspicious. I went to a church in Louisville that was had been Southern Baptist when I first went there, and then it split off from the Southern Baptist convention because they were too too liberal. Um, and Brother Upchurch, that was really his name, um, was the <laughs> pastor, I kid you not, um, one Sunday said, next week is Paycheck Sunday. At first I thought that was a good deal. I thought we were going to get paid for going to church. But uh, that one way he meant, he said, I want all of you to sign over your paychecks next week to the church as evidence that you trust God. I don't know. I never asked. I left. (laughs) Being young as I was back in those days, it never occurred to me to say, look, I trust God. It's you that I got a problem with. That's amazing, isn't it? I've heard of pastors who want people to take off the jewelry and put it in the collection basket as it goes around. Must be an interesting trip to the pawn shop the next day, Don't trust people, trust God. But because we've been so conditioned to to be suspicious of authority and to not trust people, because that's sort of become our way of living, we've also become conditioned to not trust God. We're afraid to let go and let Him do it. And so that's why the church has lent and asked you to give up something, to surrender something, is to practice. Because when the temptation comes, when those fears come, what you need to learn how to do is not fight the temptation. And that's where people so often get so bad, oh, it was really hard, but I managed to avoid it. Always want to say, oh, that's too bad. Because if, if you fight it off, you're in the same place you were before. But what you're really supposed to learn how to do is when the temptation comes, is you give it up to Jesus who can overcome temptation. Because the the Christian life is not about being good or trying harder. The Christian life is about giving it over to Jesus to allow the Spirit to guide you, to do that which the Spirit wills, and to go where the Spirit leads you. And when we live that way, some interesting things start happening. First of all, the first thing that happens when you overcome temptation, not by your own will, but by the will of 
Jesus who, who can overcome it, is you're like, wow, that really worked. That's amazing. You know, might have been a coincidence, so maybe they're fast. And the second time, it's kind of like that. The third, but about the 1,200th time, you can sort of see a pattern evolving here, and you learn to trust. Because that's what surrender is all about. It's about trusting, having faith that God has your best interest at heart, that God wants you to live the good life that he created for you in paradise, that God wants you to be able to live as he intended for you to live. And when we begin to discover that, then we can trust a little more. It's not an easy journey. In some ways, surrender is much harder work than following the rules. Much easier to follow the rules as long as I know what they are and they're not too long and they're not too complicated. But giving up and letting God? Because what he tells us in assuring us of all this is that the Son of Man came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. And so when you see on TV or anywhere else for that matter, these you know, so-called preachers of the gospel who are screaming at people and condemning these heathens and awful people who commit this sin or that sin or the other sin, and we need to stamp that we need to do all this, that is not the gospel because they can't. I mean, people can't stamp it out. God can't. And if God doesn't have a great need to control every one of us, if he's going to allow us to choose, what makes us think that if he's so bad at it, we should pick up the, the, the marching orders for him and do it for him? That's an important lesson to learn. It's important to learn for your spouses, you know, all those things they do that are really dumb. What do you do when the temptation comes to say, that's really stupid? It's really good. Say, Jesus, he's your stupid person, not mine. <laughs> you give it to him. When your kids mess up, I know you all don't have kids that mess up, but um, give it to the Lord. Because the truth is, is that if anyone can help them, he can. It won't be the way you want, by the way. The wind's going to blow where it will. But he's the one who can do it. And it's, it, it's all about learning this fundamental definition of faith. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all that believe in him might never perish, but might have everlasting life. And to believe that the Son of Man came into the world not to condemn us, but to save us. That's why we give up things. That's why we surrender. So this week, what I want you to do is as you go out and, and the irritations of life, how's that for putting it mildly, um, come in, ask yourself to give it up. Say, Lord, I, I'm going to let you take care of it. I can't do this. You know, I'm going to let you do it. And then just go with where he leads you to go and begin to discover the incredible riches of living by water and the Spirit, of living a life that knows that I have been washed clean of my sins by the blood of the Lamb who is the Passover, who was sacrificed for me, that I am alive in the Spirit that is the Holy Spirit of God that will never die. 
my real goal as a journey, my real journey as a Christian is not somehow or other to fight against all that and fight against the bad things that I'm supposed to do so I'll be worthy of it, but rather to surrender my will to allow him to do it in me. Because in that, in that we find the kingdom of God. In that we go back to that time before Adam and Eve ate off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Back to the time when God said, you can do this and you can have that and you can have that and you can do this and, and you can be naked all you want to, nobody really cares. I mean, you know, we'll walk in the garden in the cool of the day, it's going to be great, have a good time, and, and you'll never die. In that, in little glimpses at first, and ultimately in heaven, completely, we live in paradise. We see ashes of it in this world so that we can be encouraged to know that that's our inheritance. That's what God created us for. But to begin with, we have to surrender. Amen. You have been listening to Come and See by Father Ron Baird. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.